0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing,
1: and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hi, everyone. Welcome to
2: today's episode. This is Erin, and I will be your host for today. Today's episode 12 is a look into the nature of friendships, both during and after our mother loss. Uh, Some friends have been there since before our moms died and some came into our lives after. We hope to capture a glimpse into our close friendships and how they relate to our mother loss. This episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description.
1: All right. How is everyone doing today? Good. Feeling good. So nervous as
0: always. I mean, you know, in comparison to that dad episode, that was a doozy for me. So this feels a lot better in my soul today. (laughs) A lot easier.
2: I feel the same about that. I want to kind of start off by focusing like early on in our childhoods and our Kind of early lives, what our friendships were like at that time. I want to think about and kind of talk about what our friendships were like right before and around the time that our mom died. We were all teenagers, Sarah. I know you were pretty young, but just kind of thinking about like what our friendships were like. Were they important relationships to you at that time in your life? What did that look like? What did that model, that relationship of having friends look like for you at that time? I'll start. My friends were everything to me. Um, they were like one of the only things that mattered. I mean, I was 15, 16. So having all those shared experiences and, you know, being able to just talk with them about how like parents suck, they don't understand, we're so cool, getting into trouble and all that sort of thing. They were everything to me. They were very much my entire life. And I think that that's pretty pretty standard, especially for teenagers in developing those relationships outside of family. So they were everything to me. I had plenty of close friends. I was in a lot of activities with them. We had a lot of shared experiences. So probably the most important relationships that I had
1: at that time in my life. Sarah, you want to go next? Yeah, that's amazing. I'm really happy to hear that you had so many friends and I did have friends later in life who were supportive. And I know we'll get into that further on in the episode, but I was four and a half. So I was super, super young and do not recall many of my friendships, except for my closest friendship who we called each other like best buds. We, were, we had shirts made. My dad actually had the shirts made, which is really sweet of her and I, it was a picture of us like with our arms around each other and it was like screen printed onto these shirts and they said best buds and we'd wear them around. This episode is really hard for me because it's forcing me to go back and try and remember things I just can't. And it's painful. Like it's it's painful to go this far back because this is I mean, again, this is the topic of our podcast, but this is when my mom died. I know that I felt very isolated in my experience though even as a super young child and very confused. I guess I want to add into I was an only child for the first 8 years of my life and so I was super independent. Like I played by myself a lot already. And I think after my mom died I was just kind of that weird awkward
0: kid who could play by themselves. Shadia? Yeah, I had a similar situation as you did, Erin, where my friends were my everything, still are. And actually a lot of my girlfriends like in growing up, our moms were friends, which is actually really nice because they knew my mom, they would talk about her not too much, but probably just enough because I knew I didn't want to talk about it. So yeah, I definitely had really close relationships and my friendships were everything. Plus we grew up in a small town so we could run around and do basically whatever we wanted. (laughs) And now even to this day, I mean, I feel really lucky to say this, but there's a core group of us that get together like three times a year still. And I mean, they just know me inside and out. I'm sure they are probably thinking, you know, after listening to this podcast, like, what should I have done? I did the wrong thing. I'm sure a lot of our friends and family are thinking that while they listen. And I guess, you know, to them, I would just say, like, you did the best you could do in the situation that you had. If they would have probably forced conversations for me to talk about my mom, I wouldn't have liked that. So I feel like that's kind of a, A tricky conversation. But yeah, I mean, my friends, I just say they were my kind of everything. I feel bad saying that knowing, Sarah, how you just responded. And I think Christine's going to respond. So I'll be honest with you. I feel guilty saying that. I feel very lucky. And not to say there wasn't girl drama and all that stuff, like middle school, there was, I mean, it was just like your regular every, every, but I always just knew I had supportive friends that at least knew my story. I think that's huge, right? Just to have people know your story, acknowledge, accept it, you know, that's just a part of you. So
1: I appreciate you saying that Shadia, when you acknowledge that something in my stomach like dropped, but not in a bad way. It was like, I felt something really deep. I think it was my you know, a little inner child, Sarah, feeling seen. And not that I want you to feel guilty. Again, consciously, my therapist, who's like always, she's like a psychoanalyst. So she's always like, subconsciously, we do want to hurt each other. We just don't (laughs) want to admit it. And so I will say consciously, like, I do not want you to feel sad or bad or guilty, but little Sarah, who is hurting, felt really seen when you said that. And I appreciate you acknowledging that it was really lonely.
0: Well, you're welcome. And I'm a natural empath. So to a fault, I'm always like feeling other people's feelings, you know, so I can't help but feel guilt about that. And I'm fine with that. You know, I think it's okay all around to know where other people are at. I knew this topic would
2: bring up different, different things for each of us like very different experiences and I feel I feel like privileged to hear these experiences because I think they are painful for some of us any type of like close relationship in any capacity around the time that our moms died it's hard to dig into so also I feel lucky in my experience and I feel like really like privileged to hear and like be allowed to see into that experience for you Sarah and everything so Christine next.
3: I grew up in a suburb of Chicago and I went to a small private school, a K through eight school. And I was friends with the same 20 plus people for essentially five and on. And I really didn't ever have to know how to make friends because everyone was just friends because we grew up together. And then when I was going into eighth grade, it was in the middle of my mom being okay for the short time that she was. We moved to a suburb of Milwaukee for my dad's job. He was a college professor. And so I had to start at a new school going into eighth grade. I was 13. Honestly, I didn't know how to make friends because I never had to know how. I've thought about that a lot over the years, and I've said that frequently I didn't know how, and I was really focused on doing well in school, and I was really into being smart and choir. and so at this new school, I was kind of a geek, right? I was a dork. So making friends didn't come easily for me or naturally. Also, I'm an introvert, less so now. I'm more of an extroverted introvert, I think, now, but back then, oh my goodness, I was such a homebody. I wanted to be near my mom, and that was even prior to her being sick. I always wanted to be near her and home. You know, even when sleepovers started, like in fifth, sixth grade, people would ask me, and I rarely wanted to go. I would ask my mom for excuses to not go because I wanted to stay at home. Uh, and not to say that I didn't love my friends. It was just there was something about being near to place that I was most comfortable and my people, specifically my mom. So when I moved in eighth grade, it was really tough. And I did make a few friends, but not great friends right away. It took a little while. And also when you're dealing with such turmoil at home. So, you know, the end of my eighth grade year, my mom, the cancer came back and and she had brain tumors and she had to have brain surgery and radiation. And you don't, when you're a new person, especially you don't want to be the girl whose mom has brain tumors. I really had this sense at that time that I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. And I didn't want people to be friends with me because of that. So I was just in a really complicated place in, in my life where, where I I didn't know how to connect with people and then I didn't want the connection to be around people feeling sorry for me or my mom being sick. So also Milwaukee area is not that far from Chicago, but I didn't see a lot of those friends that I left. Just didn't, you know, we were getting into our new life where we were living and and you know, you didn't have cell phones back then. There were certainly some f- telephone calls I'm sure that I had with those friends, but those friendships really dropped off. I did have one friend in particular that's still in my life now. Her mom and my mom were best friends. They were best friends from college. And even that friendship at the time, they really weren't present in my life in a real way because of their own lives and, you know, they, the distance, the distance between where we lived. So, yeah, I feel the it feels really intense for me to think back at that time and how I really had this amazing group of people in my life for so long, you know, from five to 13. And then that was kind of, I'm going to say this dramatically ripped from me (laughs) when we moved. And then it took a long time really to establish any close friendships around when my mom was sick and then after she died. I can really relate. Christine,
1: so much of what you said resonated in different ways. But that idea you you talked about of not wanting to be known as, you know, the girl whose mom has brain tumors or you don't want relationships to be built on people, you know, feeling sorry for you. And that is, you know, was so much of my experience as well. And I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I used to secretly fantasize about having this terminal illness or just being like really sick or hurt and coming to school and everyone feeling so bad for me, which feels so contradictory. Like in real life, I didn't want people to feel bad for me for what people actually would feel bad for me for what had happened. You know, my mom. Dying. But secretly, I wanted people to feel bad for me, like for other reasons. It's, it's, I feel like I could really psychoanalyze this, but I think I've heard other people having similar experiences.
3: Sarah, I didn't have that experience exactly, but certainly after my mom died, I really wanted people to know that. That about me, like, and not to feel sorry for me, but that that was such a defining part of who I was. I felt like if I was going to connect deeply with someone, I needed them to know that my mom was dead immediately. And I I didn't always share it immediately. But inside, I desired that for them to know this very essential fact about my life. I don't know if that resonates with anyone.
2: Both of those things resonate with me, Sarah, like the fantasizing, like I, I know that I've had that before when I was a kid and a teenager. And then also Christine, just wanting people to know that I never wanted to go through the burden of telling people and having them feel guilt and having to comfort them and take that on. But I needed them to know because it was so essential. Is so essential to who
1: I am. Yeah. I feel that. Right, like I almost like didn't want people to make it like weird, mm-hmm. which is like so like funny make, to look back on. Don't like make my it mom weird, died, but yeah, just like, know it, know
2: it, and be like cool, and then move on. But know it, you yeah,
0: because yeah. <laughs> they'd always make it so weird. Everybody, Everybody made makes it, it weird. so weird.
2: But Some I people mean, still
0: make it weird because because <laughs> we're human, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. It's because we're human. I think we, our expectations also have to be realistic, too, for being humans. You know, like I still make it weird when people tell me horrific things about their life. Guaranteed. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm sorry. Now let's go grab coffee. You know, like I definitely feed into others pain and hurt and can't stop thinking about it and all that stuff, too. So I guess I can relate to it. You know, I'm not saying it's right. I want to say that... <laughs> It's fascinating about the fantasy because after my mom died, I was at my aunt and uncle's in North Dakota and I heard my mom or I heard my aunt on the phone talking to the school about potentially enrolling us into the school in North Dakota. So like we like moving us to go live with my aunt and uncle. And I mean, I just had like a complete panic, like, what? I don't want to move. Like, I don't want to move. And I ended up telling like this friend that lived up there and she ended up telling her mom and her mom told my aunt and it became this big thing. But then I secretly would fantasize about ob- also moving to, and I think that was to protect myself for the potential unknown of having to move or getting sent away to live with my aunt and uncles or whatever. But I would like imagine myself walking into the classroom, be- people being like, "Ooh, who's the new girl? Sort of liking the attention, let's be honest, but also not wanting to move at the same time. So psychoanalyze that, Sarah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. So next I kind of want to go into more detail about how the friendships showed up for us immediately after our moms died. And in like the couple of years that followed, I want to specifically pose the questions and the topics of were your friendships able to meet some of your emotional needs at the time? And I have a feeling I know what a lot of the answers are going to be because our friends were also children or teenagers But I want to look at, were they able to meet some of your emotional needs? And at that time, how were the friendships showing up for you in different ways than family relationships? Were they important to you to keep during that time? How were they showing up for you in different ways rather than just family and meeting our emotional needs? What did that look like? I know for me, I had plenty of friends like show up very immediately afterwards. Like there were so many people that showed up for the funeral, I had some friends write me like really sweet letters. I keep them in like a box with a bunch of photos and cards that I received after my mom died. But at a certain point in the immediacy after she died, that stopped. And it stopped in a way where like other people moved on because they were able to, and I was not. And I think that I gravitated towards friends who were actually able to be emotionally available for me or who were willing to, like, if I needed to cry, if I needed to vent, they were there. And I think that it pared down my friend group. I think I realized at a very early age, the qualities that I needed in friends in order to actually have a friendship and a relationship with them nothing like surface level, you know, not just being friends because we're in dance together or because we share this activity, like really recognizing how I wanted my friendships to be in my life moving forward. And I really only have two very close friendships still, like from friends that I grew up with, like since, We were kids. One of them knew my mom before she died. And then the other one I met like a month before my mom died. And I'm still like really best friends with them to this day. But I am not really friends with anyone from that time, Facebook friends, but I don't really think that that counts. But I think in that immediacy afterwards, I realized very quickly like the qualities that I wanted and what I needed from actual friends. And I was able to recognize when people were. I don't know, I guess just like being fake or pitying me and not showing up for me in emotional ways that I needed. And I'm not sure I could have expected them to because they were also teenagers, underdeveloped emotionally. I think that that's something to be considered, but it was still very hard at the time and not being able to recognize like, well, why does this friend not want to be around me? Like, why do, why are we losing this connection right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, because I was so young, I keep going back to the same kind of narrative in my narrative in my head, which is like, like, who are my friends? Like, who are my friends back then? And I'm like, finally it's really hitting me. Okay, like my mom and dad were my friends. And then Mira, who I was referring to earlier, she is my oldest, longest friend who was there before my mom died. And during and after. When I was a teenager, I experienced the loss of a father figure caregiver who had raised me or who had been raising me since I was about 10 years old. That loss felt very, I mean, it definitely brought up again, the loss of my mom and all of the grief from that time. At this point in my life, so I was 15, just about to turn 16 when Neil passed away. Also from cancer, that I was very obsessed with my friendships. And in both that experience and my like preschool age experience, I would say what was most meaningful for me was people like just simply being there. I know that sounds, I feel like we talk about that a lot, just like showing up and just being present. But the people who were willing to, not only show up, but meet me where I was at. As a preschooler, it was wanting to play and be silly and be imaginative. And it's kind of interesting to think about how other kids couldn't possibly meet, you know, the needs that I had that, you know, my mom had previously been meeting for me, like my emotional and physical needs. And yet the adults around me in the wake of the loss of my mom weren't capable of meeting my child's needs. So when I was a teenager and was re-experiencing this loss in the aftermath of the f- very sudden loss of Neil, I had a similar reaction where I don't know if other people share this, but I feel like I have heard this idea of like not being able to really relate anymore to friends and friendships and I was once a, you know, before Neil had died. So this is, you know, from the ages of like 10 to, you know, 15. I was super outgoing and extroverted and social and just wanted to be out and around my friendships. And in retrospect, I you know, I wonder if that was one of the ways I was coping with the loss of my mom because I didn't have that relationship with my mom. And so I was really like searching for, meaningful relationships through my friendships. And then when Neil died when I was 15, it was like it broke me in ways that I'm still unraveling, but I couldn't go out anymore. I I didn't want to leave the house. Like you were saying, Christine, before this was before your mom died, I I turned into like the person who just wanted to be home all the time, partially because I didn't feel like anyone who I once hung out with could Relate to my experience in the least bit. And I couldn't tolerate hearing the same complaints and drama that I once had been, you know, so eager to be involved in. I just had zero space for
2: that. I just want to say, I want to validate that feeling that you just ended on of like, I have no time for everyday life drama because I have experienced something so traumatic. I don't have any space for that. I was the opposite of you though, when I wanted nothing to do with being at home. I didn't want to be, but, but I also think that it needs to be considered that I very abruptly had to move homes, like moved in with other family members. I've never really felt like a place is truly home though except for now, because I've created it within my house and with my partner. But like, I wanted to be out of the house all the time. I didn't care where. I didn't care with who. I just didn't want to be in this place that was like a, a almost like a fake home for me. Not that it wasn't caring and loving, but in my mind, I was like, this is not it. This is not it. And I just wanted to be around my friends. But I also remember so vividly feeling like, oh my God, are we talking about this again? seriously guys. And just wanting to be out with my friends, but having this inner dialogue of like, this is so stupid. You have no idea. And just, yeah, I see everybody like nodding and like rolling (laughs) their eyes along with it. So yeah, it's like, sorry, I've experienced deep trauma. I don't have time for this kid drama anymore. So move along. Yeah. Very. I very much relate to that.
1: And at the time it even felt, cause like in retrospect, we can, you know, I hear you, you have that like annoyed sound in your voice, you know, like, I don't have time for this, but at the, in the moment it felt like so deeply painful. Like it felt like I was being stabbed because I'm like, they clearly have no idea. Like I am fully alone. Yes. Yes
2: so much. So I remember it being so painful at that time because of like where I was emotionally and developmentally. And it was, it was devastating at the time to experience that, that I am absolutely alone in that. And, and my friendships right before then were the most important relationships in my life. And it was devastating. Absolutely. And now, you know, I have that annoyance in my voice, but no, I can confirm at the time it was, you know, one of the most devastating breaks, like breaking points that I experienced. So,
0: oh, Shadia. <laughs> yes. As you guys were talking, I just had so many things be brought up. I tell you what, this is like a free therapy session. I was just thinking about one story that when my mom was sick and probably only had, you know, a few days left to live, I was having a sleepover at my next-door neighbor's house. And I mean, I had sleepovers all the time. I relate to wanting to be home, but at that time, my mom wasn't home, so I didn't want to be there, which definitely plays out into my later life, too, as a teenager. But I literally got woken up in the middle of the night, and my mom's best friend drove myself and my siblings to the cities, you know, the big city where you didn't have to wear your seatbelts or no, you did have to wear your seatbelt in the big city, but it just sticks it out in my head that like, I got woke up in the night, you get in the car and you have to drive, even though we had no idea what was going on. Like she didn't really tell us. She just said, your mom's really sick. And we, I mean, you could probably assume that she was really sick or whatever, I think that's that's a very traumatic thing but it also is really fascinating because it's just so connected to friends and how I played and how they played into my life later on but then like after my mom died or probably even when she was sick you know my dad was gone so much and our our house was so lonely and quiet and I didn't want to be there I wanted to have like a normal family and honestly all my friends had very normal I can't think of the term but you know the, they were married. Their parents were married. And they had siblings. Or maybe they didn't have siblings, but their parents were married. And they all had jobs. And, you know, it's just very, like, normal middle class. And they all had their meals with their family at dinner time. And I really yearned for that normalness. So I spent so much time at their houses, just because it felt good to have somebody cook for me. And... Even take us shopping, you know, when I would go shopping with my girlfriends or whatever. I just really leaned not only on those friends, but really probably even more their parents for that, like, family connection. And I I don't think there was any, like, well, I guess I don't know. I don't think my friends were annoyed by that. I wanted that so desperately bad. I wanted that, that normalcy. And then when it was our family home, like, on Sundays, it's like my dad didn't really talk very much. And it was just... Never what I wanted it to be, to be honest. So <laughs> I will say that I did get very, like, jealous of my friends because, like, they had the moms or whoever to buy their clothes. And my dad we did not like, have a lot of money. We had so many medical bills for my mom. And we had, a, you know, living on a single parent income. And, like, I didn't just get to, like, have somebody plan out my clothes or, you know, I don't... <laughs> Like we had the necessities and I'm not saying poor us, but like my friends who got to go through the Delia's magazine, I like, it still sticks in my mind. And I'm definitely overcompensating that with my own girls. I will say that.
1: <laughs> that Delia's reference is a <laughs> throwback. <laughs> I, I love Delia. <laughs> I had a vivid flashback.
2: I can yes. picture the catalog. I can picture the store in the mall. In Ridgedale.
1: and Ridgedale. <laughs> That actually, it's crazy you say that because that brings back, that brings me right back to that same time for me when I was so jealous of my friends who had living parents and these like intact nucle I, I never know if it's nuclear, nuclear. Yes,
0: that's the word. Not. Nuclear. I wasn't trying to say normal. I was trying to say nuclear. Thanks for. Nuclear, not
1: nuclear. <laughs> Wait. Nu- what is it? Nu- nuclear. Nuclear. It is nuclear, it. not nuclear. nuclear. I don't know. Anyways, I I was so jealous. And I don't know if I was I think I was I was clearly aware of it, but I again I'm I'm just now learning what to do with my feelings. And I don't know what I did with that jealousy back then. I hid it and I stuffed it somewhere. And so now every time I feel a little bit of jealousy, it's like so strong because of all of the times I've felt jealous as a kid, understandably so, and it was never acknowledged. And I felt ashamed for even feeling that jealousy.
0: Same yeah. I never like acknowledged it. I, I just bottled that up too. I mean it wasn't wasn't their fault that they, you know, got the clothes they wanted or, you know, but it, it just felt like I just want somebody to do that for me.
3: Christine, Christine. I do not know this story that you're talking about, by the way, the catalog, uh, I'm a little, I'm feeling jealous about that. It's
0: cause you're so, in Chicago and you're, you know, yeah. you had way cooler places. Let's be honest. So
3: <laughs> I did, I did, we, though we didn't shop there, but, uh, <laughs> I have lots of feelings right now. I have a lot of anxiety about this topic in this moment. There have been so many good things said that I resonate with too. But I will start by answering your question about how friendships showed up, friends showed up immediately after my mom died. And I will say that, you know, my friends back in the Chicago area, I do remember them sending a big envelope full of handmade cards And that was nice, but not really meaningful. If you think about actually showing up for someone, though, you know, Aaron, as you touched on, I don't know, us all being children, I don't even know what that would have looked like, how it could have been any different. And then, you know, with my friendships in our new home, I did have really just one best friend at the time and she was tough she wasn't empathetic. I know that she got tired of my grief and she was really the only one that I would share that with. And I'm going to share this. I I was hesitant to share this, but I'm going to share it. We were, I remember being in her room, we were listening to Simon and Garfunkel and the sound of silence came on. It's one of my favorite songs. (laughs) And I started crying just I don't know what it was particularly that triggered me to start crying with that song, but I did. I started crying and I was crying about my mom. I was sad. I was really sad. And she told me to stop crying. So, you know, and, and she was pissy about it. She was angry. She was she was sick of me being emotional. I think you all know I'm very emotional. I've always have been. So to be shut down really by my only friend at the time, it sent a clear message that I didn't really have a place to grieve with other people. So I didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. And as far as the difference between home and and friends, you know, I, I think I've been pretty clear about the fact that I really didn't have anyone at home either. So I... You know, Sarah, when you're talking about being lonely, I just, I mean, I cannot even tell you the depths of loneliness I felt. So alone and so isolated for so long, just so desperately painful, that loneliness. And not to, you know, when you don't know anyone else for so long with that shared experience and you're really, you know, the message has been sent that it's not okay to communicate what you're actually feeling with the people you're closest to then you you know you just turn inward mm-hmm. and it's all inside so I also want to just say that that <laughs> the the talking about meaningless things so many times I think I've always gravitated towards connecting with people on a a deeper level like I've never really had a high tolerance for shallow even at a younger age i though of course I engaged in gossip and all that uh but if certainly after my mom died, there was definitely intolerance of what people were connecting about and gossiping about. And I just felt like, ugh, I just don't I just don't relate to anyone right now. And and I think that perpetuated that feeling of loneliness too. When you just want to connect with people on a deeper level and you you can't. They're not there. They're not in that same place. I also one other thing I want to share, if that's okay, about jealousy. This is a little after my mom died. So I was in my early 20s. Again, she died when I was 15. I had one of my best friends from college had a really hard relationship with her mom. And she came to me with that a lot. And I was so jealous of the fact that she just had a mom. I didn't understand how she could have these feelings of dislike or distaste for her mom in the way that she did and I was so challenged to listen to her to even just listen to what she had to say and I actually set a boundary with her in my early 20s interesting I forgot that I did that but I I I basically said I can't be this person for you I can't you can't come to me and talk to me about your mom you have a mom how, how, you know, just embrace that. What is your problem? I I just couldn't handle it anymore. And we took a break. She didn't want to. I I did. I was like, I can't be friends with you right now. And I think it was a couple of years actually. And in that time of processing that jealousy I had and the intolerance I had, I really came around to understanding that, of course, she. She doesn't have the lens of mother loss. Of course she's not going to uh, be able to relate to my experience. And also she shouldn't. She doesn't have to live her life through my lens. She has her own lens and her own unique relationship that she must process. Of course she has pain around this and she should be able to feel those feelings. It has nothing to do with me. <laughs> not to do with me or my experience. So that, that really shifted how I was able to be with my friends going forward. Because honestly, most of my best friends have some challenges with their moms. (laughs) Most of them do. And it's something now I'm able to hold space for and talk about with them without me making it about me and my loss. So I just wanted to share that.
2: I'm going to just say it again. That friend who yelled at you to stop crying, What a Bitch. (laughs) Not okay.
0: Don't ever do that. Anybody listening, don't be that person. And I think, you know, those types of reactions are the reasons that we don't want to share our story. I mean, that's such an extreme reaction, right? But that's terrifying. That is just terrifying to me that I tell somebody that my mom died even right now and they just start crying, like, please don't cry. Just don't, (laughs) you know? So, Yes, if they just dismiss, you know, that I just said that I'm out. It's just like all the reactions can be just so triggering. So that's why it's so terrifying to talk about
1: your mom, you know. And on the other side of this, because I do want to point out, Christine, you even gave the example of yourself. You know, again, you were older. So you still young, though. You know, you were you said 20 in your early 20s when you set this boundary with a friend because you knew you couldn't hold space For their needs because of your own needs. Again, that's what boundaries are for. And, you know, you were young. And so I think that this person, you know, didn't have the, I don't know if it would be ability or just, you know, a lot of adults don't even have, I'm still practicing this skill, but if you can get to the point where you can set that boundary before you are telling someone to stop crying and letting out their emotions I mean, because at that point it does become damaging and hurtful and traumatic and highly impactful to the point where, yes, you know, this person is going to hold back maybe going forward or feel like they can't trust other people. But it is also okay to not be able to hold space
3: for someone else's pain. I want to share too, though, that that friend who I set a boundary with in my early twenties. She's still one of my best friends now. So so grateful for her. Betsy saying it, I'm saying your name. That's
2: so I want to get into like adult friendships now and thinking about, has it been hard to develop new friendships as an adult? So we kind of touched on this, like our abilities to make friendships after our moms have died. So what has that looked like? What are our friendships now? Anything that we've developed after our moms died as adults, what do those friendships look like? Have we let go of any friendships over the years because we just don't feel supported? And what are some qualities that we hold dear to us now in terms of having a friend that's able to support grief and trauma as it comes up for us? I have like four very close friends. I had like four very close friends in my life, and a bunch of other friends too, you know, acquaintances or like my partner and I's friends, but very, very close best friends. And two of them I've known since we were kids, high school. I've mentioned them before. One knew my mom, and the other really didn't, only saw her once. Still best friends with them. The other one I met in college, and we are really good friends. And the other best friend I have, I met in my adult life, early twenties, we met at a coffee shop we were working at. And so making those two friends later on in life, I know for a fact that it was a long time before I told them that I had a dead mom or like any sort of my history with my mom or my dad or any sort of trauma that I had. And I've stayed friends with them because they were able to support me emotionally and were very accepting and have been supportive of me. And I'll, I'll kind of give an example of, so my friend that I met in my adult life, her name's Bethany. We met working at a coffee shop several years ago. She is the only person out of, out of any like family members too. She will text me on mother's day yearly on like mother's day or like around like my mom's birthday. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotional because it just, it, it is so dear to me. And she will simply just check in. She doesn't say, she doesn't put upon me anything. Like, you know, a family will be like, I'm thinking about your mom today. Like, well, so am I duh. Like, but she will say, Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I'm holding you, Aaron in my soul and in my thoughts today. Do you need anything? How are you doing? And she checks in with me in ways that I don't think anyone else has ever done for me before. And I just love that so much. And I just, I just love her. And I love that she does that as an example of something that of a way that one of my best friends is truly supportive especially on those days or those moments. I love that and I hold that dear to me. I think it really is those those little things about my close friendships that I have now that make the difference and make it so that we are able to actually have a very close, intimate relationship with each other.
0: I have a few different groups of really good friends. I have my high school friends. I have a group of college friends. Then I have probably a group of post-college book club friends and I'm a really social person and I'm kind of like a chameleon. I can, I get who people are within like a few couple minutes and I can also adjust who I am, which is not always good. But so I guess I'd say I'm closest to those three groups and it's also hard for me to have new friends that are close because first of all, I don't like shallow conversations and I don't like people who can't be real. I'm a really out real person. So if I feel like, you know, people are just trying to be the way they feel like they should be or live societal norms, I really struggle with that. I'm not saying I'm perfect in that way. I just really thrive on real conversations. And so you know, there's also so much, only so much time in life right now. So it takes time to, like, grow and develop a relationship. And I don't really have a lot of extra time. So I really lean on the, those, you know, probably three groups of friends and my sisters as well. My friends also do some of them do message me on those important days, like thinking about you or like, I missed your mom too because I knew my mom or whatever it may be. Just a few now, there used to be a lot more, which is fine. But I also really appreciate that. Also on Mother's Day, they are very aware of where I'm at and just respect that. They're like, if you want to go for a walk, great. If you don't want to do anything, that's great too. I just... I just know that they're constantly thinking about me on that day. And and they know that I don't have a mom when it comes to my kids, right? Like, man, <laughs> the amount of money I would pay to have a mom while having children. So I've leaned on them so much, which can be challenging, you know, because they have their own kids and they have their own opinions, but they're the only people I have. So I just realized I'm missing a really important group of people, which is my she climbs mountains group. <laughs> so I have four groups. I probably have more groups, but you know, the, the the five of us that are on the board of She Climbs Mountains, we're not just on a board. We're definitely good friends and we understand each other in a way that none of my other friends can. And they're okay with that. And I'm okay with that too. And it's just really nice to have that outlet. I and mean, we don't, we don't just talk about our dead moms, but It's nice when you can say something and somebody will always, always relate to you on that. So,
1: all right. So, I will say that as an adult, making friends has been really challenging. The friendships that I value the most and the people I seek now as an adult for friends are those who are willing to be vulnerable and really go there if that makes sense who are able to hold space for honestly it's it's for my pain i guess in knowing that you know i can trust them and that i won't be too much for them but how i i guess come to learn that is by observing how vulnerable someone is willing to be like with their own pain and i really admire people who are honest and open and authentic and almost flaunt their, you know, quote unquote flaws, I really gravitate towards those people. It's interesting though, because my older friendships, so the ones, you know, from childhood and my teenage years, you would think I I would have a stronger connection with around the loss of my mom. But in reality, I didn't talk about it at that point in my life. And so it's interesting for me to think about now how those people actually aren't privileged to the information that a lot of the people in my life now are. The She Climbs Mountains community that, Christine, you created has completely changed my life. And I I know I've told you this over and over again. It was actually... So earlier on, I referenced, you know, my lifelong, my childhood best friend, Mira. She has an older sister named Ellie who sent me a link three years ago to a workshop that was being put on by this organization, She Climbs Mountains. I'd never heard of it, but it was an early mother loss workshop. And I was floored that this even existed. The thought of it even... Being something, I didn't even have to go to feel like the immediate benefit of just knowing I wasn't alone. And I, of course, signed up and I went, and it just felt very serendipitous that Ellie, this childhood friend whom my mom had a relationship with, because Ellie is older than me, she actually has memories of my mom uh, more so than even I do. And she led me to a group of people whom I have been able to form some of the deepest bonds with. And it's not even like, I mean, it's really the the three of you here that I, I'm realizing like this, these are some of the deepest relationships i had in terms of how comfortable I feel being vulnerable. And I'm kind of just, realizing that and it's a lot to take in. Other than my partner. And I've said this before, but I've I've looked to my like intimate partners to be that person that I can be super vulnerable with. And I'm happy to say that my current partner, Tony, is he's been so supportive in that. And I am I consider him to be one of my best friends right now who I'm very much trying to develop a, a deep bond
3: with. So I think that, you know, the friendship that I spoke about where I set the boundary in my early 20s, there was kind of a crossroads there for me. And when we, w- well, what I'm trying to say is when I did that, I think I kind of pulled away from a lot of friendships that I had developed in college, which were my deepest friendships at that time. And when Betsy and I circled back to one another, I feel like that was a crossroads. There was a choice there. And when we circled back to each other, I really opened myself up to all of those friendships again and started pouring in and reaching out and trying to connect again. That that has been life-changing for me because all of those people that I had pushed away for that period of time are now some of the most dearest people in the world to me. So I feel, <laughs> I can't even explain what I feel about my friendships. The, the women that I'm friends with now from college have showed up for me in so many ways. You know, I think particularly around mothering, it's been a huge piece for me, especially just after becoming a mom and feeling so inept, how am I going to do this without My own mom, and I really had those women show up and just show me love and just listen. I I I am very lucky to not have judgmental friends, just they are always just meeting. I feel like we all just meet each other where we're at, always. And there is this acceptance and love and witnessing that we can do for each other. And when advice is asked for, then we certainly provide that. But mostly it feels like we are, we are just really good at listening to one another and witnessing and accepting each other. And I, I also want to share in my mid-20s, a group of us actually had a conversation about making a choice to not talk about each other with one another we had this, we had this. I, I look back, I'm like, that's kind of mature of us. <laughs> we we had this conversation to say we we won't do that. And we if we need to process things with one another, we can do that. But if there's an issue that we will bring it to one another. That has been amazing too. So there's very little drama. There's a lot of love. And again, it's only a few of there's there's not a ton of us. It's a few of us, but it's the best thing in my life. And I have definitely, in this last year and a half going through divorce, I do not know what I would do without them. I do not know what I would do because I really don't have family. You know, I have my brothers, but it's not the same as a, a girlfriend. I, I just don't know what I would do. It, it's, and there have been recent struggles where those women are just showing up for me again and again and again. And also, I'm letting them in a different way than. Than I have allowed previously, I do have friends from different times of my life too like with I worked at a restaurant for a while in my early twenties, and i'm still really connected with some of those people, so those aren't necessarily the go to when I'm struggling, but just dear people to me that I know I could if I wanted to and then it, when we do connect it's just deep and and also fun, but it's it's real it's not shallow there's, I just don't have a lot of space for that. <laughs> and then of course, you guys, the women I've met through She Climbs Mountains, it changed my life. That That's where that loneliness that I was talking about finally started to soften and become less intense and continues to be less intense. Knowing that there's this amazing community of women, amazing hundreds of women that really get us in a way that I never knew prior to being a part of the community. So when Shadia was talking about our board is really close and I feel that, and I feel that with you, Aaron and Sarah too, that we just have this very close bond and understanding of one another that really I don't experience in any other friendships and I'm so grateful for. And, and there there's healing that's coming from these friendships that is extremely meaningful to me. So I think, I think that's it. I don't know if I have anything else about Mm -hmm. friends, but life changing friends to me, are family really.
2: It's funny after hearing you all talk about, she climbs mountains. I mean, I also agree with you guys and it also is baffling to me that I've never met some of these people in person. I still have never met Shadia in person. Mm -hmm. And we've been working on this podcast and sharing all these stories with each other and healing with each other. And it's just baffling to me that those relationships can grow like that and you can feel so supported and seen even if you've never met someone in person. And I hold those experiences And these sessions with you all so dear to my heart and they are so magical and healing and just lovely. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. And thank you to my amazing co-hosts. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. Our next episode is episode 13 and it's all about our physical senses and how we remember and reflect on our mothers through them. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at piecesofyoupodcast. If you love our pod, please rate and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. We would love it so much and we would love connecting with you. Take care of yourselves, and remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better.
0: When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken
1: better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open share your story it will get better though it doesn't feel like ever and you'll get stronger it's a journey we'll get through together so let us lift you up let us keep you grounded do you feel our love we'll make sure that you feel surrounded though the tears their down wipe them off